welcome to the Record Celtic Podcast. I'm Graeme Young and today I'm joined by Gordon Parts to discuss all the latest from Celtic Park. On the pod today, Gavin Strachan arrives. He's a famous name, but is he the right man to replace Damien Duff in a season for the ages? Neil Lennon calls for the first Celtic vs Rangers clash to be pushed back. Is that the right decision for Celtic, Rangers and Scottish football? And it's transfers, transfers, transfers as we discuss all the latest from Parkhead. Partsy, how the devil are you? It's great to see you, mate. Johnny, it's great to actually interact with a familiar face. It's been a long time. Very, very good. Honest, it's a pleasure, Partsy. As you know, it's always the, the report of the office. It can't be matched over a, a call, but it's, it's better to speak than not. So I'm glad you're here. So as much as many may be predicted that without football, football would be quiet, that's not, uh, that's not the case at all. It's still... Frantic, still busy, and Celtic are among that. They're a club that's always something's happening, and uh, they come fresh off a new appointment. Gavin Strachan is a uh, Gordon Strachan. Uh, Gavin Strachan, Gordon Strachan. Gavin Strachan is a uh, Neil Lennon's new man, third in command. Uh, what do you know about Gavin Strachan, and what can Celtic fans expect, Partsy? Well, first of all, you can always trust Scottish football to keep things lively. And, you know, even in the fact of a lockdown and relatively a, a degree of not knowing when things will return back to normal, we've still got so much to talk about. And that's testament to the drama that Scottish football continues to throw up. Now, Damien Duff leaving Celtic was um, left a bit of a void. You know, somebody who can connect between the first team, the Really highly rated. Well, Gavin's somebody that I've got to know um, over the years. I've known him um, for many years. I've um, dealt with him quite often, more so when he was uh, trying to become a BBC journalist. He was writing a, a weekly column. He was cutting his teeth and that kind of side of the business. And um, I spoke to him at length over certain things, and he's very intelligent, very thoughtful, uh, very pleasant. It doesn't have that cantankerous edge that you could certainly look at his dad of having. He's a more kind of um, easy, ozy kind of um, enthusiastic guy. Very deep thinker. Very um, very passionate about the sport. And he's somebody who's done it the right way, the hard way. He's got any coaching at the bottom end. He's shown what he's got to offer. And let's, let's be honest, you don't get that post at Celtic unless you've got um, a real aptitude and a real um, ability to go and harness, like I say, First team, second team, the whole academy set up to put your eye across it. Damien Duff had that kind of overview and that kind of energy. And Gavin Stratton is very much a kind of like for like. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well as maybe opinions of people as well. Because Damien Duff, I think some might have... People on the outside anyway might look at him as some kind of like jovial figure. But he was quite a serious guy by all accounts. Someone who was really... But Gavin Stratton, obviously Gordon's son, he appears... Maybe a slightly different type. He, there was you talked about the blog, very interesting there, Patsy. I remember it well when he used to blog on a weekly basis. And uh, in one he's called in one of the blogs he mentioned the fact he might not be cut out for management, but he thinks he might have been made to be coach. And this was near the end of his career, and I think it's proved correct. So it could be an astute uh, uh, arrival for Neil Lennon here to come in the door. See, Gavin and myself have got a mutual friend in George Mackey. George Mackey's Gordon Stratton's best man, and. Uh, George was a, a youth coach of mine and very hard man to deal, deal with. Very, very, his standards were so high. The habits that, that he had, the demands that he placed in people, and certainly a lot of that is rubbed off in Gavin. You know, that kind of um, real 
deep-gritted determination to succeed and be the best that you can be. And you can see that Gavin has those hallmarks. He's definitely got a bit of um, ambition about him, but it takes a lot to actually admit that you're maybe not destined to be your own man as a manager, but to see that your talents can be best served in maybe a coaching capacity and dealing with a different level of player, be it age group or whatever, that uh, shows a kind of self-awareness and an intelligence that underpins everything that Gavin's about. That's really interesting part. I'm sure Celtic fans will be um, eager, will be interesting what you're saying there, and they'll be eager to see him in the role. And I think that's obviously been a big part. John Kennedy previously was the number uh, three under Collins and Dylan. He, he, again under Brendan Rodgers, he's moved up the pecking order. But I think for Celtic success over this period, the makeup of the coaching staff's been very, very important. So okay. one of the big dynamics of any coaching staff is that there's no threat. That everybody's there working towards a specific goal. That they're all working in tandem and there's no there's no loose cannon or big personality that wants to kind of steal the thunder and the Celtic have got that blend out in a tea. If you look at it, they've, they've brought people into the club that know the club. They've brought people into the club that know that they're, they're John Kenny's a great example of somebody that Neil can rub along with and bounce things, things off and underneath that tier you've got an understated personality. Introverted in many ways the way Gavin is. They're all not presenting a kind of present threat or ambition to get the number one job. They're all working to a common purpose. And at any football club, if you've got that chemistry and balance right, your quid's in. Things promising for Celtic moving forward. And one of the things, it's obviously there's storylines come here and there. We're not hearing from, summer anyway, things would be different, but we're not hearing from managers and players as regular as they are. So when we do, um, we pour over what's been said. And Neil Lennon, uh, the weekend, was talking about the fact that first, this first Celtic Rangers game, which is scheduled to be at Celtic Park, the idea of it being pushed back perhaps to maybe give more opportunity for supporters to be inside the stadium, that obviously there's a lot to factor in there in terms of the schedule makers. People might argue things, not support and integrity, but the, the dynamics of the league, moving certain fixtures back for TV, is that the right way to go? How Celtic look at it, how Rangers? What's your thoughts on potentially moving back Scottish football's flagship fixture uh, to get supporters back in the game and how, how that could all shake out parts of it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question and I think that one of the things over the last few months that's frustrated me is this kind of casting stone and inability to be flexible within the, the SPFL, within the TV companies, within all these kind of different partners that are trying to bring the game back. There seems to be this kind of inability to kind of think outside the box and navigate through the crisis to come to the best possible solution and that's really frustrating and I think Neil Lennon's proposal makes perfect sense why not? If it can be done do it, it shouldn't be the most complicated thing in the world, keep hearing that everything's a problem well let's go out and find people that can solve the problems, Celtic and Rangers games old firm game is the flagship it's uh, one of the few things that signals good health within Scottish football and one of the real things that we should kind of trumpet Clearly, nobody wants a Celtic Rangers game that's played behind closed doors. The whole the whole ingredient of the game is the fans. So, again, Neil's talking perfect sense. People will criticise him. They'll find reasons, ulterior motives of why he wants to do that. But it's purely and simply, let's sell a game properly. Learn from the mistakes and not throw hurdles in the way. Let's find problem solvers, because they're very few and far between, as far as I can see. And his argument's probably only strengthened by... The Merseyside derby on Sunday night parts where that was I know Sky, to be fair, I think a few pundits have made this point and I actually do agree with it, the fact that 
listen, on a weekly basis in a Premier League, get 10 fixtures, four or five are duds. Not every game between Elliot yourself has covered games weekly for a number of years. You've been to plenty of bad football games. but And obviously these players are building their way back up to match sharpness. But it's hard to argue that the silent treatment, so to speak, inside the grounds, even obviously supporters get the option for the crowd noise. Like in games that will end up not not meaning much for teams. There's going to be a lot of these type of games, isn't there, in the coming weeks? And for a derby, it just makes it even more. It's magnified even more by the fact the silence, isn't it? And I think supporters need to be in these games. Listen, this is not an ideal world. I have I've watched games in the Bundesliga, which I think has been a triumph. I think a lot of the games have been great. You can manufacture your own atmosphere. It's part of your professional ob- obligation to go into every game and try and give the maximum that you can. I get that. The atmosphere kills it, but if you look at the Liverpool derby, there was a real lack of edge to anything. There was a kind of passive kind of quality, which is alien to any derby environment. It just seemed to me as if it was going through the motions. Celtic and Rangers can't allow themselves to be dragged into that. I think it would be detrimental to the spectacle. Let's not let it let it happen. If it can be done, that you get fans in, get them in, get them in, wait, push it back. Let's be let's be flexible. Let's um, let's look at all the alternatives before we dive into anything. One thing that's in my head, dear parts of throwing that's not on the schedule, but something that came up obviously is the idea of these virtual season tickets and obviously we've got the Sky deal for now. But that Scottish football's always there's always been a need for Scottish football to be innovative and think outside the box, and it's maybe not always been there. But this crisis obviously got to force into some different things in terms of almost in-house TV packages and so forth. Do you think? There could be some this Scottish football, as much as this obviously been a horrific time for everything, the tragedy that's going on around the world. Do you think this is finally Scotland's cha- Scottish football's chance to maybe stumble into some kind of innovation moving forward? It's a, good phrase, it's a good phrase to use, stumble into it, because I'm not going to um, do, it, do it by choice. Scottish football is incapable, it appears, of reaching any kind of uh, cordial agreement, a uh, kind of... Um, Unification of anything, a kind of a consensus of how to move forward. There's so many different factors that are in, incapable of getting any kind of uh, agreement. Let's face it, the the virtual season ticket is an idea that's come, it's been born from TV companies. Neil Doncaster deserves a bit of credit for bringing it to the table, but this is a proposal that's already in the place in different leagues. This is not new. I think outside the box is not something that Scottish football is good at. I don't hold out much hope. This is something which has been led to rather than actually going and engineered themselves. I think this could be a time which we could use to change things and kind of completely upset the apple cap and do things for the good of the game. But fingers crossed, maybe hold my breath. Don't don't think so. Are you a fan of the Rangers reconstruction proposal of Colts teams? Is that something you would agree with or disagree? Forget it. It's uh, got so many different problems contained within it. We've got too many clubs as it is. I think rather than bringing clubs in, we need to strip clubs away. There are radical changes that I would make. I would, uh, and this, this might sound appalling to a lot of lower league clubs, but they can go and play in their own kind of separate arena. If we're talking about elite professional football, it only exists in two divisions in Scotland. I've played in all of them. It only exists in two. If we want to have elite professional clubs and take it seriously, then we have to kind of bring less clubs in, provide less offers. Op- op- I mean, we've got a pyramid system which is really providing 
fantasy dreams for clubs to try and go and climb it. It's uh, stretching themselves out, out with what's good health for that particular club. I would shrink it and I would bring a more serious professional edge to the clubs that matter. Very interesting. What about a team like Queen's Park? They were on it, Patsy. Uh, they've obviously got grand designs moving forward, big ambitions. Uh, were able to go out and get Ray McKinnon as a manager. But they're already in the bottom tier. They would need to do some jumping to try and get up. Is it they appear a team going full time that they really want to push moving forward? Is that the type of clubs you would appeal to make a, a stronger second tier and then regionalise from there? Yeah, well, a great example of a football club that knows how to develop players. Queen's Park's sitting in a separate kind of bracket. You know, I'm talking about the clubs that just clubs that just run for the sake of running from year to year, from hand to mouth. Queen's Park are providing a whole different strand of community reach groups. They've got they've got a, a setup which incorporates so many different kids. They have got a manager now who's forward thinking, ambitious. They've got money behind them. Got a great facility. Queen's Park could be the exception to the rule. Um, a terrific football club. Partly me saddened to see that they're going professional because if you, if you lose that history, you preserve the amateur status. For me, that's for the best thing for them. But they've made their choice, but they're perfectly placed now to go and be striving towards something better. But there's very few of them. Shouldn't be kidded that Queen's Park sit amongst other clubs that just perennially strive to maybe just survive. And is that really elite professional football? When you've got 400 people who are watching on a Saturday, it's just uh, for me, it's a kind of it's a false illusion of professional fo- football. We need to date ourselves a bit more, a bit more seriously than that. So there we are. On I think that covers where we where everything stands at present, Patsy. And this is something that obviously uh, keeps the world turning. Uh, 365 days a year, it's transfers, 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 and Right now, it's back in the forefront. It's the end of the season, heading towards next. The Celtic, again, that's something Neil Lennon spoke about over the weekend. He was quite bullish, uh, discussing the potential of Fraser Foster and uh, Moel Yanusi, both players still training with Celtic up until the end of their own deal at the end of the month with Southampton, still in action down south. What do you think, specifically with those pair, do you think deals can be made for both? Lennon's obviously talking it up. What do you think will happen there, Patsy? I think one of the ironic elements of the pandemic is that the financial climate within world football, European football, British football has changed. The the money they kind of, that's swelling about is now no longer there and I think that that enhances Celtic's chances of getting both. I think if they can deal with Southampton and come to some kind of credible financial agreement which makes sense both for Celtic and for them then it's going to happen because both of them appear keen to stay. That's a massive fact of the matter. It helps grease the kind of negotiations. But I think that the days of Southampton being able to hold players to ransom and demanding the kind of money for players that aren't effectively getting a game are gone with this this health crisis. Clubs are now having to re-budget, re-look at their figures and uh, that can help Celtic bring both of them back to Celtic for the new season. Very interesting. So I'm not going to ask you a question who Foster or El Yunus is. As good as El Yunus is, we know Foster would be the first choice of Celtic to return. But an interesting part's come out in the last few days with uh, likes of Chelsea and Arsenal, obviously, looking at Foster as a potential, you wouldn't say backup, but he wouldn't go straight in at first choice at either club, even though many would argue that they would give guys like uh, Bert Leno and Kepa a run for their money. Uh, do you think Foster has obviously came back to Celtic last season, rejuvenated, reinvigorated his career? 
do you think the move to a Chelsea Arsenal as a backup is, would be more appealing than going to Celtic going for the ten, or do you think the fact that he's managed to uh, get his career back and track in his close relationship with Stevie Woods, Neil Lennon, do you think that would hold a greater weight than a, a big payday at one of the Premier League big boys? I think you're talking about a guy that's already been at big football clubs, and I think that the, the option of jumping ship and going and sitting on a bench holds no appeal, really, when he's got the chance to stay where he's loved, when he really feels as if he's making a contribution. And he's, he has, he's, he's got himself to Celtic and he's grabbed opp- opportunity with both hands. He's now been an instrumental and key figure. And when you feed off a football club and get that kind of, uh, that kind of love that he's getting, it matters more than um, anything that can be offered to go and sit on a bench anywhere. Maybe the club, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, there's no club big enough to take that away. And I think that's what will drive the player in this instance. OK, and obviously the, the biggest name out of all, uh, Odds and Edward. There's an interesting one with Borussia Dortmund at the weekend. Uh, a couple of reports in Germany were saying that, I think for a while he's been a player that's been mentioned before, but he's been scouted uh, by Dortmund. They're one of the best teams that comes to identifying talent. Obviously, they've got Haaland, one of the best young strikers in the world, but they're always looking ahead. And I think with the financial situation, I don't think Haaland will be at Dortmund maybe as long as initially planned. Perhaps there'll be big teams going for him this summer. But Edward, I think there was a concession for Dortmund that the price he would have to pay Edward would be too expensive for them. What kind of, and we know he's got massive interest down south. The player himself has repeatedly said he's happy at Celtic. The club appear keen to keep him, maybe offer him a new deal. Uh, and that would obviously bump up his wage packet for his potentially final season going for 10. What do you think will happen with Edward? Do you think it's very much Celtic are saying they obviously want to keep him, Edward's making the right noises, but is it just a case, on a case-by-case basis, if the right offer comes in, a financial situation's changed? How do you think that will play out this summer? Parts? It's a real fascinating one, isn't it? Back to, back to the financial climate again, the way that things have changed. And... Well, this guy's an exceptional case, surely. Like we've had... T- Dembele, it's almost been moving up. Dembele was 20 million in 2018. Tierney, left back 25 million. Edward could really reset the market for a, a, a Celtic selling player here. But that's obviously changed with uh, COVID 19 and everything else that's followed. Look, what do you think will happen? Do you think there'll be an offer of 30 million on the table? Or will teams heads their bets wait a season and see how things play out? No, yeah, I mean, it's not an exceptional case. I think that all things been equal. If this uh, health crisis hadn't have arrived, then you're talking about Celtic would have got the money for them. I think there would be no question about that. They would definitely have capitalised on expanding talent. But things have changed. I think that, that 30 million becomes 20 million. And football will calibrate itself again. And Celtic are better waiting maybe a, a season. He could only enhance his credentials and get the money that they're looking for. But I don't think that 30 million exists now. I think uh, Celtic realised that as well, and I think that's why he's probably going to be remaining for the next season at least. I respect, obviously, what's going on elsewhere in the world. Celtic usually uh, allow one of their big hitters. That's kind of the them all where one of the big players moves on a summer. They don't normally do it in bunches. Chris Ayer's a player who has got a long list of suitors. AC man. Maybe make sense as a one player to depart, or are Celtic not strong enough defensively? Would would that be a move that they could justify by letting him go? Is there enough strength and depth there to find a replacement? Yeah, I think he's a player that's done really well. I think he's progressed, and I think he's developing into a top talent. But there's, there's options there. I think if you're going, to, somebody's going to come and spend crazy money to try and get him. And the Celtic are the club that takes that 
cash. They don't they don't make a secret of the fact that it's all about um, try to become that selling club, bring in diamonds, polish them, get them moved on. So I don't think Agile will fall out of that kind of category. That's just the way Celtic live now, and especially now more than more than more than ever, if somebody's prepared to come and put the cash up, you bite your hand off. So, Patsy, just with, yeah, if you'd be able to give the give the listener just a scene set, obviously it's a, a summer like but Celtic, whatever decisions they'll have to make in the transfer markets, obviously factored in, they're going for 10 in a row. This is uh, uncharted territory in terms of like, for a long, long time for Celtic. This is a massive chance to, an iconic number in Scottish football history, go for that. What's your feeling, maybe, what you've heard at Celtic? How do, how do you think what do you think the approach will be for Celtic? Will it be the sell one of the big names? Are they going to maybe gamble's the wrong word, but do you think speculate to accumulate in terms of bring players, or will they be cautious when it comes to new arrivals? Uh, none so far. The likes of Johnny Hayes, Jose Simunovic have departed. That was a big call on Simunovic, as much as injury prone, he's a player. Lennon light. Hayes obviously got plenty of opportunities last season. Craig Gordon appears to be on his way out as well. That's not confirmed, but his comments last night make it look unlikely that he'll stay beyond uh, where he's obviously his contract's expired. Hearts and St. Bernard as well. How do you think it'll play out? Set the scene for Celtic supporters as you can. Well, the information that I've got um, is that Celtic are in the market for a box-to-box mid midfielder, a number eight. Um, whether that's a kind of a sign of a concern at Celtic that Scott Brown can go through the season again and hit the, hit the heights that he's been Astonishingly, managed to managed to attain over the last while. So, as far as recruitment goes, I don't think there's much surgery to be done. I think if they go and get that number eight, then that's something in they could probably do with another defensive option. Um, again, I don't see Celtic allowing um, themselves to be distracted from ten in a row. Is everything? I think everything's been building towards us. I think they'll look at Rangers and they'll see. Man for man, they're still superior. They've got um, a quality that Rangers just haven't managed to match, and I don't think Rangers can do much about that. I think it would cost too much money for Rangers to get to that kind of uh, that kind of squad strength, that kind of depth that Celtic have. Celtic have got players all at a good age. They're only going to get better. They've got a manager who's passionate and driven. He knows exactly what it's uh, about and knows exactly what history means and what, what lies in store for these players that sense of being immortal now at a club if they can go and go over the line and I just see them being far too strong, I see talents coming to fruition, I see players getting better I see you can go through a whole host, whole host of your Ryan Christie's your, um, your, your back players of that kind of age, you know they're really top, top kids that have now progressed, they've come through and they're becoming their kind of real deal, I see Celtic becoming more awesome, more kind of emphatic because they're driven now towards a finishing line which means so much that's, that part. So one thing that's kind of came into my head there as well that obviously I think a lot of people are considering the next few weeks with Celtic and Rangers um, Rangers problem over the last couple of years in the second half of the season sometimes these games that they're expected to win they slip up Celtic have got a ruthless streak as you've mentioned there about being able to find results seeing empty stadiums it's deathly quiet the signs point towards Celtic being better suited to cope with this where Celtic are very self-motivated. Neil Lennon, that's 11 titles, he can include player, coach and manager that he's been able to lift. He's been able to navigate all types of circumstances previously. Do you think that's somewhere as well where Rangers, if they don't have a fast start perhaps in these early games um, in silence and no fans in the stadium, do you think Celtic will be able to 
just really build up a, a really fast start. And obviously with Rangers Europa League fixture as well, that could obviously change the dynamic as well. So they might be able to get a few games um, in the bag. How do you think that will play out? Well, Graham, one of the things that I've noticed with the closed door games is uh, the teams that are more technical tend to come out on top. You know, they think the, it's all about keeping the ball and using it, and uh, the better teams ultimately are winning the games. And they just might be a wee bit worried about that because, again, without being too dis- disrespectful with Steven Gerrard and his squad, they're not a patch when it comes to technical ability. When it, if you rival Celtic man for man. And I always say the game just to put how many players would you get from the Rangers team to get into the Celtic team? One, two maybe. And that's been generous. And I think Celtic have that advantage that if they're all about using the ball and making your own atmosphere with the ball and what you do, Celtic are streets ahead of anybody. And Rangers need to show more. Uh, they need to show us... I can, I can, well, let's be frank. They fell apart at the seams after January. It cost them. Can they be consistent? Big question marks. They've got a manager who hasn't proven himself. Question marks. Celtic are the polar opposite. They've got everything going for them. They've also got a finishing line, which uh, is going to mean so much if they can get get there. The motivating factor for every game, for every minute of every game, when the season starts, is huge. The pressure's on Rangers to stop them, and I just have my doubts that they've got the capability to do it. It's an interesting one, Patsy, as always, and I think uh, we'll be able to find out over the next few weeks. Hopefully we'll get this August 1st start date. I think for you can imagine that there's not been football in Scotland since March, that everyone up and down the country, uh, especially obviously Celtic fans, going for this uh, season for the ages as well. But I really appreciate you joining me today, Patsy. That's all we've got time for. And um, you, you can follow us um, Daily Record Celtic Podcast, and it will be available in all the usual locations as well. Thanks, everyone, for listening today.